Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's no reason why your business shouldn't operate the same as a Fortune 500 company in the sense that, like you said, a contract is a contract. We sign all these things all the time. Click here, click these terms and conditions, this fine print, right? Things that we don't read. You got to make sure your business is protected just as much as those companies, because I would venture to say that an issue, a lawsuit is going to hurt a small business way more than it is a large business. They're just mm. going to throw money at it, right? You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. 
So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Pamela, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you here. I am beyond. I'm a huge fan. So this <laughs> is like surreal for me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. I love to provide access to all types of resources for folks who listen to this podcast when it comes to all things money. And I think one of the biggest common stressors, if you will, that I hear from new entrepreneurs is like, how do I manage the legal aspect of starting a business? And that's why I have brought you here. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. And then we'll dive into some of your best tips for entrepreneurs and navigating the legal aspects of owning a business. Yes, happy to. So hello, everyone. Again, super, super grateful to be here. My name is Pamela Rosario. I am a Dominican attorney from the Bronx. Anybody you know from the Bronx is going to tell you they're from the Bronx within the first <laughs> five seconds of meeting them. I've been an attorney for over 10 years, working for the man, recently, very recently launched my own law firm, which still feels crazy to say. My focus now is first and foremost, educating my community and making sure that we all know the setbacks that are involved in like the legal world and setting up your business and also offering my intellectual property services, filing your trademarks, your copyrights, protecting your businesses via contracts. Okay. So do you come from a family of abogados or was this like a brand new thing that no one has ever done in your family? So I'd love to know more about your legal journey and what made you want to take this path. Yeah. I mean, I think that growing up in my household and I think blood households in general, you really have one option. It's <laughs> you come here, you go to school and you get a job and it has to be a high paying job. Mm -hmm. So for me and my family, it was no one is a lawyer. No one is really have gone to college or any of that stuff. So I was the first and I was like, well, I'm not going to be a doctor. So it was doctor or lawyer. I'm going to be a lawyer. And that was it. I was like, I need to have money. I need to have a high paying job to help my family and get through all of that. But I went to school. I went to college. I went to law school. And I was the whole time was kind of thinking like, this is whack. Like this is for the birds. I just didn't enjoy doing it. And, you know, as a kid, I was very creative. My family thought I was going to be like an actress or a dancer. I used to take menthol and put it on my eyes so that I could cry <laughs> do these like novella scenes. But that doesn't pay the bills, right? So all through law school, I was like, what can I do that I will enjoy? And at the time, opening up your own shop and entrepreneurship wasn't what it is now. There weren't resources. There wasn't information. So I got into compliance a little bit after law school, and then I landed a really great job. And by really great, I mean great salary, amazing benefits, prestigious or whatever. And I was there for seven, almost eight years all the while evolving as a human, but not really feeling fulfilled. And then 2020 came and everyone's year of reckoning, I call it. And I was just thinking of ways of how can I help people? What can I do during this time that will serve? I'm a lawyer. Let me use my skills. 
I didn't even call it a law firm in the beginning. I was like, I'm going to start a legal consulting business and see how people need help. And it really took off and flourished from there to where I am today. I love the fact that you brought up this very, very accurate narrative where we are given as like first gen kids, go to college and become a doctor or lawyer. Like that is one of two options, right? So that's the only option you have. I'm curious what your experience was like being in this space as a law student where we just, we don't see ourselves represented, right? So I'd love to know your personal anecdotes or perspectives on what that experience was like and some of the challenges you may have faced along the way. It was tough just off the bat. I think that the legal field, even if we're going to higher education, it's very white, very male dominated industry. And so when you look to people who are successful and above you and they don't look like you, it's very difficult for you to imagine that you can attain that. It doesn't seem attainable and that you could make that kind of money. So it was very tough. Even in college, I went to college in upstate New York and again, huge white population, huge school. And I felt a little bit of reverse culture shock. You know, you come from New York City and you're like, I'm super woke, like I'm around, but you're really around people that look like you in your (laughs) neighborhoods, right? You don't, I didn't know a white person until I got to college. So it was just a very rough environment for me to be in because I didn't feel like I could flourish. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of time. And I think therapy to really come into your own as a woman of color in this industry and really feel like you can make that path for yourself, even though others, you haven't seen others do it in the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's really, I think a lot of folks can resonate with that experience. So I'm curious, you mentioned the pandemic was sort of the start of you doing your own thing as a lawyer. So how did you actually go about monetizing your skills outside of a corporate firm? One of the big things that was helpful in the beginning was investing in a business coach. I do not think that I would be here if I hadn't done that. And, you know, even that took a little bit of time because of my money wounds. And Mm. I was just like, oh, that's a lot of money to give someone. Like, I don't even know if you're good. But, you know, I did my research and she was amazing. And I owe a lot of where I am in my business to that because, This is not, like I said, this is not something that we see growing up. Our communities, we do have entrepreneurs in their own way, right? Like the bodegueros and the people that sell a coquito and all that. But we don't know about finances. We don't know about marketing and branding and all of that stuff. And so I knew that I was going to need a guide through the process. And at first, I just was like, well, I'm going to put out an Instagram. And I had a little rinky-dink website. (laughs) And really, very gratefully, a lot of the work that I got in the beginning was word of mouth. I didn't take into account how important it is for people to see people that look like them in the legal profession or as an accountant or as a financial expert, all of those things. I didn't think people really cared, but they do. It's important to them because we speak their language literally and figuratively, you know, and they see us and there's an automatic sense of comfort. And so really there was no rhyme or reason. It just kind of took off. People enjoyed seeing I've never met a Latina attorney. And I'm like, that's crazy, first of all, but okay. Very. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But, and it took off like that. And they said, my friend recommended you and all that. And then I started to put into place the tools that I was learning from my business coach, the marketing and all of that stuff. 
Yeah. So that's really where I am today. Still learning, of course. I'm still a baby entrepreneur, but we're out here. You are. And you know, it's funny. I love that you mentioned that people were attracted to you because of your identity, which I think is like not something that a lot of people realize can be such a valuable marketing tool that you literally don't even have to think about, right? It's just how you show up as a person who is not commonly seen in a space. And I think about my own journey as a food blogger in the Latin food space and now as a podcaster in the Latina space. And it's like leaning into that identity is what has helped me get to where I am. It's not me trying to whitewash myself and code switch and be the corporate version of me. It's actually completely opposite of what I think a lot of us think we have to do when we're showing up as entrepreneurs. And I invite y'all, if you are thinking about starting business, lean into what makes you different. And if that is the fact that you are a Latina or you're a person of color, or you are from the LGBTQ community, you are some marginalized group, like that is such a freaking asset. And that's one thing you can't buy. Right. (laughs) And that no one can replicate. Mm -hmm. Show up as yourself. I love that you said that because it is the total opposite of what I had to do in corporate America. It was the straight hair. It was the whitewashing, the code switching, everything that I essentially innately was, I believed did not belong in that space, right? Mm. Because I was being told that, or I was seeing it again, the people at the top didn't look like me. Mm -hmm. So if my hair is straighter and I speak differently, I'm going to get there, right? Or at least close. Here, I just got to show up as me, me Mm. from the Bronx, me as a woman, me, however that looks, right? And it still means that I'm capable and I'm intelligent and I can do the job, but I also curse and talk like you, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm here for it. They're not mutually exclusive. (laughs) I absolutely love that. Okay, so let's dive into legalese 101 when it comes to Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, because I think and this is my opinion, that some of us get caught up in worrying about this shit way too early. Like you haven't made a single dollar with your business idea and you're out here thinking about LLCs and fucking intellectual property. And I'm like, ma'am, you don't even have any intellectual property to fucking secure. What are you talking about? So when is the right time to actually start thinking about trademarking your new business? Let's start there. Yeah. Just start, like start the business, right? I, of course, am going to be a champion for let's get these protections. Let's get your contracts in order. Let's get your LLC, right? When the time is right. But to your point, have you done market research? Do you know what's out there? What does it take to put out this product that you want to put out? What's your client experience going to be when you start a service-based business? How are they going to find you? All of these things. And then most importantly, once you start, do you like it? Like we all think that we know we want to be entrepreneurs. And then when you get into it, it's not for you or you just don't like it. Right. So I'm all for investing in all of these things, but let's figure out how we're doing this. Is it a viable money-making machine? And do I like doing it? Once you're there, once you've started, once you've sold the first product, you have a client, a focus group, whatever it is, then let's talk about expanding into these other buckets of where you're going to get protected. Okay. So what's the first things that you should be doing to protect yourself legally as a business owner? Should it be something like trademarking? Should it be creating an LLC? What's your thought process around that? 
I kind of, when I talk to clients that are like right before in the idea stage or they're going to start, I divide it into these three buckets, which you touched on. It's the business entity, which is your LLC, a corporation, what have you. There is the contractual relationship and then there's the trademark. It's kind of in that order, depending on your business generally. So once you've started and you know that it's viable and you want to move forward, let's talk about your business entity, because that's where you are going to get protection from liability for your personal assets, right? I mentioned, and I'm going to mention LLC a lot because that's just the most typical one. It's the easiest to form and the easiest to maintain. You form your LLC and that's going to divide your personal bank account from your business bank account, your home, your assets, all that. That's going to protect you. You're you're registered with the state. Then let's talk about contractually, who are you interfacing with on a business level? If you have clients, if you're a coach, you 100% need a a contract for your clients, right? Your own template that you use. If you're a product-based business, a contract, so to speak, is your privacy policy online, your terms of use. Those are the contracts for the people that are going onto your website. If you're a product-based business, do you have a manufacturer that you purchase things from? That's where we're in that bucket. Let's get you protected before you start bringing in, as you're bringing in this money to protect you from that. And then we're going to talk about what I like to call the big kahuna, like intellectual property, because it's an investment for to file a trademark, do your copyrights and all of that. But it could also be the most monumental in the sense that you can make money off of your intellectual property. If you don't protect it, it can be stolen and other people can make money off of you, all of those things. So in kind of that flow, working with someone where you can identify what you need and when you need it is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And so my own personal journey, like I didn't start my LLC for five years because mm-hmm. I don't know, was there something about that that just felt like, I would say imposter syndrome almost. It almost mm-hmm. felt like, who the hell am I to be like having an LLC? I'm just right. out here like as a blogger, right? And right, so right. I think it's like, there's a mindset shift that has to happen where you stop thinking about your business as like this cute little thing that you do on the yes. side. And it's like, yo, this is like real shit. You paying real taxes on this stuff. Like, let's right. start treating right. it like that. <laughs> yes, that happens so much. I get people where I'm like, why don't you think that this is real? This is real, <laughs> sis. Like, it's a business. Let's start acting accordingly. That's how you grow, really. Yeah. Okay. So I want to ask you about this new trend that I've been seeing in communities Uh-oh. of color, which I think is going to irk you because it just Uh-oh. sounds it sounds silly as fuck. But apparently there's this new thing where like people are gifting LLCs to people. And I'm just like, first of all, what does that mean? And secondly, why is that a bad idea? (laughs) Oh my, where do I start? First, why? (laughs) I think it's a bad idea for all of the reasons we just mentioned. What are we using this LLC for, right? There are things you have to do to maintain the LLC. It's not just like a cute little gift. One, you have to pay annual dues, depending on your state, to maintain it. Two, you have to act as an LLC. What if this person is not ready to start this business or to start dividing up their funds or they're still, God forbid, taking payments on like Cash App and Venmo, which Mm. are please a (laughs) no-no. I don't understand this trend. I hadn't heard of it. I don't see the the point. I think people think that by giving you an LLC as a gift, that means they're giving you a business. And it's like, Mm. no, that's not how this works. 
No. If you think about it, an LLC is really just your state saying, okay, you now have permission to move forward and start this business. It's not giving you a full-fledged business. That's like step one, step negative one. Like (laughs) Everything else that you need to put into it is so much more than just this LLC, right? Yeah. Wow. I'm going to have to look that one up. It's wild. And I'm like, can y'all please stop? Like, if you want to give something, give somebody some money to start a business, don't be giving them some LLC when they don't even know what the hell that is. Right. And also, (laughs) I know that it's trendy now. Not everyone is meant to be an entrepreneur. And that Mm -hmm. is okay. It's wonderful. I love that it's trendy now, but I think that it creates this pressure in some people of like, we all need to be starting businesses, even though we don't know what we want to do or how to do it. Or like, it's okay. Not everyone is. I won't even say cut out for this. Maybe they just don't want to. Like, this is not for them. And so these gifting of an LLC is (laughs) interesting. It's wild. Okay, let's talk about something that I've heard, folks. This is the reason why you need to talk to professionals before you just start, like, doing shit. There's this idea that there's optimal states to start an LLC in. And if you don't live in in the state that you operate, like, you can – for example, I know somebody who has, like, an LLC in Delaware. But they live in, like – New York. And I'm like, why? Why would someone do this? So I don't know where it started, but there is this longstanding rumor that Delaware is where you need to set up your LL. And Delaware is the state because you'll hear a lot of different reasons because there's tax advantages, because you're able to be an anonymous LLC owner, whatever it is. It's likely not for a small business just starting out. Like those kinds of advantages or benefits, if they do exist, are not something that are going to benefit you. And so if you choose to start an LLC in Delaware, you have to pay for a registered agent every year because you don't live there. You hope that you're not going to be asked, like, what is your connection to Delaware? Like, Why are you filing? So I really like implore people to speak to an accountant before you even think about a business entity. I think there's a common misconception that this is a legal question, but it's really like a tax accounting question. They'll tell you, you should be making X amount of money before you even start an LLC. This state makes sense for you because of the tax advantages. What's going to happen at tax time? How are you going to be taxed? And so when you're doing that, make sure that that conversation is happening in conjunction with a lawyer and but really, really with an accountant, a CPA, some kind of tax professional, because the internet is full of rumors like that. Mm -hmm. And you'll have everyone setting up LLCs in Delaware and be paying $300 (laughs) a year in like this annual tax they have for no reason. (laughs) Yes, y'all, please do not take legal advice from TikTok. TikTok, right? I was going (laughs) to say. You cannot expense the G-Wagon. They're lying to you. Okay. Oh my God. I saw that one the other day. Oh my God. Please don't get me started. No, no, it's not. Let's stop. (laughs) Um, Okay. So can you break down what the benefit is to operating your business as an LLC versus a solo, what's the actual term? Like a sole proprietor. Proprietorship. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, like I just said, people think that this is a legal question and I'll talk about the legal benefits of doing that, but it's a tax question because what's going to come up is that tax time when you get taxed as an individual versus being taxed as an LLC. And when you are a sole member LLC, a single member LLC, when you're just the owner, it essentially comes out to being the same thing. So the difference being, eyes of the IRS, is that an LLC is a separate entity from the human, right? And so 
you have to take steps to separate that. You'll have your separate bank account. You'll have your separate EIN, which is like your business social security number. And what it does is it essentially shields you from liability. So if someone were to sue your business, God forbid, for something that happened, they would sue the LLC and they wouldn't be suing you as the human, which is great because again, you're protecting your personal bank account, your home, your car. And that's the idea. That's why it is helpful to form a business entity and separate all that. As a sole proprietor, you don't get those kinds of advantages. A sole proprietor is not even something that you form officially. You don't apply for it. It's just someone who's running a business as a sole person. So really make sure that when you transition from being a sole proprietor or you're thinking of transitioning from being a sole proprietor to an LLC or other business entity, ask your accountant if it makes sense. Sometimes they'll say, well, you're not making that much money anyway, so just stay as a sole proprietor. It won't make a difference for you come tax time. Or they'll say, you're making a good amount of money. Let's start to move over and be an LLC or even a corporation, which is a, you know another step up from there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think that's excellent advice. And your situation will be unique depending on where you live, what right. kind of money you're making, what your business model is. So this is why it's important. You need to have a team of professionals around you yes. as a business owner. Like this is not an area where I recommend DIYing. Right. Right. That's just it. Because it's going to cost. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. And and not just money, right? Like time, Mm -hmm. resources. When starting a business, there's so many things that you don't know and it's not your fault. However, you need to arm yourself with the tools Mm -hmm. and the tools is the people. 
And maybe you can't afford getting an attorney and a lawyer and a branding expert and all of that stuff at the same time. That's cool. Make it a savings goal for your business, right? Have it be in your budget. Oh, I'm going to save up for that trademark. I'm going to save up with that one-on-one with that business consultant just to have someone there to guide you throughout the process because it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about contracts. That's the second piece that you mentioned. So what should we be thinking about when it comes to like the actual verbiage in a contract? Like what is the purpose of it? Yeah. So a contract kind of acts as insurance. You'll have your insurance policy for your business, hopefully, but your contracts are kind of so that you don't have to invoke your insurance. If you're using it, for your clients, let's say, that's where you could really get custom language that's specific to your business. So if you are a photographer and you want certain things to be handled a certain way, everything from how can people cancel? Are there any cancellation fees? Do you give refunds? Who owns the intellectual property if you guys are sharing stuff? So we want to make sure that all of that is ironed out in the beginning and that the sides are able to read this, negotiate, and land on the same page, so to speak, so that if a problem were arise during the course of the relationship, there are no issues, right? Because we're looking back to the contract that we negotiated, that we signed, and it says this, and so you have to do that. I think that people are weary of contracts in relationships because they don't, they're like, oh, it's not that serious or I don't want them to get mad. It's like, there's no better way to ensure that things go smoothly than to handling it on the front end and making sure that we are all on the same page as far as what's going to happen here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's important. And it's just think about like your corporate experience. If you've ever had a corporate job, you've definitely signed paperwork agreeing to X, Y, and Z. So this is no different. You just have to make that shift that now you are the employer and now you have to put those same protections that you have experienced on the other side. Absolutely. There's no reason why your business shouldn't operate the same as a Fortune 500 company in the sense that, like you said, a contract is a contract. We sign all these things all the time. Click here, click these terms and conditions, this fine print, right? Things that we don't read. You got to make sure your business is protected just as much as those companies, because I would venture to say that an issue, a lawsuit is going to hurt a small business way more than it is a large business. They're just Mm going to throw money at it, right? Yeah, that's a great point. Okay. So I think one of the first times that I realized like I needed additional legal assistance was when I started hiring for Mm -hmm. folks to create intellectual property on behalf of my business. So how do we protect ourselves from the situation where you hire somebody to start working in your business and then they try to steal your shit? Yes. Yes. Which is all too common now because of how the internet is. Yeah. Two main ways and really the only ways. One is contracts, which we talked about. I I think people don't realize that in contracts, there are a whole host of intellectual property protections that are included. For example, if you have an independent contractor agreement, let's say you're hiring a social media manager to create content for you. If that agreement does not speak to who owns the IP, that content is theirs, the social media manager, because by law, whoever creates the work, whoever snaps the picture, draws the painting, is the copyright owner of that content, unless there is an agreement that says otherwise. Mm. And so you want to make sure that in your agreements with your logo designer, it's a huge one that I'm seeing now, your website designer, anyone to your point who is creating content for you, that the agreement states you're paying them 
for this service. And in return, they're giving you the content and also they're like, they're assigning the rights to these works to you as the owner. So that's one way, making sure that your contracts speak to intellectual property. And then the second way is IP protections, filing your copyright registrations, filing your trademark registrations. There is a new kind of service that the Copyright Office has introduced that will help bloggers, let's say, instead of having to file a copyright registration for every article you write, you can do it in a grouping. It's called like a group of unpublished work or published works. 10 articles you can file under one registration. And it just makes it easier because the way that people are pushing out content now, it is really burdensome to have to file a registration for each one separately. So always making sure that your contracts speak to intellectual property and then going that extra step and working with an IP attorney to get those copyright registrations, get those trademark registrations. Because if you do find that someone is stealing your work, that's when you can come and start sending your cease and desist letters and Talk about, I have this registration here. Okay. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's important to have that legal protection, right? Because even though I know the Digital Millennium Copyright Act gives us sort of like this blanket protection, and I say this yep. in air quotes as digital content creators, the difference between what that does and your actual ability to take something to court is determined by the actual registration, right? So I think that's the important thing. You can have copyright protection and you can send a message to a website host that it's like, hey, this person copied my shit and they have an obligation to take it down. But like, if you want actual legal recourse and financial, the ability to sue somebody for financial damages, that's when this registration is important. A hundred percent. Copyright law by law, like I said, whoever creates the work gets automatic copyright protections. But like you said, it only takes you so far. So you'll be able to maybe hope that you can stop someone from stealing your content. However, if they were making money off your content and you wanted to sue, you wouldn't be able to sue without that registration. You wouldn't be able to recruit the money that they made. And you even get attorney's fees in being able to file suit with a copyright protection. So it really just like bolsters up your protection. And copyright protection is straightforward. It's really inexpensive as compared to like the trademark process. It's like a year and thousands of dollars. So Mm -hmm. it's well worth it in my opinion, especially if you are a consistent content creator that is pushing out content. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about trademarks. So I've done a couple of them and oh my God, the process is grueling, but... (laughs) I'm so glad because I actually had a situation where somebody was trying to start a podcast that was very similar to Yo Quiero Dinero, like with the name and shit. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I had already started the process, it wasn't officially registered at that point, but I was like, this is on its way to getting registered. So I suggest you change the name now because when it is, I'm going to sue you. Like, it's not even a question. (laughs) And that was enough for them to do. Yes, that was enough. So so, like, I think like 90% of the time, just having the ability to threaten somebody is like super powerful because it hardly will ever go as far as you think it'll, but it's powerful to have that, like to be planning ahead for those times, you know, when that might be a thing. So trademarking, when are we supposed to start thinking about this? Is it literally like in the beginning when you're thinking about naming your business, like, should we be doing trademark searches or is that preemptive? I think you should (laughs) because for this reason, right? If you, at least the comprehensive search, if you're like, this is the business name I want to use, and then you start investing a bunch of money into it, buying the URL, getting a logo, getting a fancy website, packaging if you're a product-based business, and you still don't know whether you can use the name, that to me 
is heartbreaking because potentially down the line, someone could come knocking on your door and say, hi, I have a registered trademark for that name. I see you're growing. So I, someone, it came to my attention that you're using that name. You have to cease all operations. And mm. on the good side, it could just be someone being very nice and being, I'm sending you a cease and desist. Please stop. No harm, no foul. Yeah. I've seen it go where someone shuts down your Instagram account oh, and damn. you lose all of that brand recognition, your clients, your followers, which as you know, is very difficult to build up, right? Mm-hmm. Organically. So if they're really mad, they can file a complaint with Instagram to get your account taken down for trademark infringement. And what does that I do that all the you? time now that yeah. I have a trademark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm that and person. you have to, right? That's how you have to protect your brand, right? It's about <laughs> brand recognition. Yep. <laughs> um, so thank you for saying that because it happens all the time. Yep. And so not only are you out on money that you invest and all of this stuff all the time, all the goodwill, it's just not worth it. And I always say this, I know that a trademark is an investment. I really do. But on the flip side, the catastrophes that could happen if you don't have one, or at least knowing that you can use the name are just, the cost can far exceed what a trademark is going to cost you. And what's the average cost so that folks can start to think about budgeting that into their business goals, if that's a thing? It's a large range, unfortunately, but from what I've seen from other attorneys, anywhere from like $1,500 to $5,000. But what you need to do is ask what comes in this package, right? Like, what am I paying for? Some that $5,000 package is going to get you trademark monitoring after you have a registration. It's going to be looking out on the internet for someone using your name, setting out cease and desist. The $1,500 package may just get you the search, applying, through the process. And that's fine, right? Mm -hmm. It depends on where you are in your journey. Just ask questions and don't be afraid to ask about payment plans. There's a whole generation or just a whole host of attorneys now that are really trying to make this stuff accessible to clients, not necessarily by lowering their rates, but by offering payment plans. Let's break it up. Let's see what I can do for you so we can get this done for your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Okay. What happens if you do a trademark search and you find that the trademark has been abandoned? Does that mean that you can now file a new trademark to basically take ownership of that? It depends. I know that's the lawyer answer, Mm -hmm. but it depends how long it's been abandoned. If it's in the same goods or services category as yours, because when you apply for a trademark, it only matters if you find another name that's similar to yours. It really only matters if you're in the same industry. So Dove chocolate can exist in a world where Dove soap does. They're both registered trademarks because they're completely different. So and in looking at an abandoned mark, you have to look at how long it's been abandoned. I believe it's after five years. And then what goods or services, what class they filed under. But that's okay. a great question. Yeah. I asked selfishly because I'm helping one of my <laughs> friends start a business and we looked it up and it's like been abandoned since 2002. So I'm like, I think we're the clear oh, here. You're probably this good. good. Yeah. You're probably good. Not yeah. legal. Good. <laughs> this is not legal advice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I heard you mention insurance previously. That was also something that I did not realize I needed to have until yeah, yeah. I actually got the request from a brand that wanted to partner with me. And I guess because of the amount of money that they were going to pay me, they're like, we need you to have liability insurance. So when should we be thinking about this? And are there specific industries that maybe warrant having higher insurance policies than others? 
Yes. So it's very industry specific as to which coverage you'll need for sure. I even see it in influencer agreements. A lot of them are now starting to have these just like general liability policies, which is like your bare bones, what probably every business should have. If something generally happens with your business, this is your your insurance coverage. If you have any specifics, let's say you are, uh, I don't know, dog sitting business where one of those services you offer is picking up the dogs. You drive an automobile, you're going to need automobile coverage. So I really recommend going to an insurance broker. There are a bunch of these online brokers where you insert, this is my business. This is what we do. This is how much I make. And they'll tell you, these are the coverages that you likely need and you can pick and choose. But bare bones, general liability, some call it like comprehensive. That's what most businesses should have. I think when you're an online business, sometimes people think that you don't need to have that, but you should always have some kind of coverage. And it's much cheaper than you think it is. It really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. I think I pay like $700 $700 a year for like a yeah, million dollars of coverage. Like it's absurd. Right. I'm like, why, right. why can't I pay this little for life insurance? I, mean, I know. I know. I need other insurance. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I would love to know like, what's the biggest or craziest like horror story that you've seen in your work, especially with new business owners? Like what's the craziest shit you've ever seen? Oh, where do I start? <laughs> Honestly, there's, there's just so many, but I'll just think very recently I have a few. So again, going back to these comprehensive searches, I think people think I'm like blowing smoke up their ass when I say like, it's really important. You need to do it. And they think that Google is going to get them there. So I'm on a call with someone and she's like, I Googled the name, like we are good. I looked on the USPTO, which is the trademark office database. We're good. And you know, just I'm for shits and giggles. I'm like Googling it as, as I'm talking to her. And she's like, yeah, we're already in production. I find it immediately in the trademark database for the same type of good and on Google. And I was just heartbroken because she is freaking out. She's like, oh my God, like we need to stop production. We need, I've invested all this money. And she said she searched and who knows what Google's algorithm was doing that day. You know, it's not something that you can rely on. I kind of wanted to get off the call. I was like, I'm so sorry if you (laughs) don't want to tell you this, but I see it here, you know, just, I'm glad that we were on the call. So you couldn't go any further, but those are the kinds of things I see in the whole DIY aspect. And then also contracts. So many people come to me for, I'd call them contract disputes, but if there's no contract, there's no, it's just a dispute of like a business relationship. Mm-hmm. And they come to me and they're like, I paid this one, someone for the service. They didn't do it or the other way around. What can I do? And I'm like, not much, like, unless we're going to do the small claims court route and all of that stuff, which is just going to cost you more money. People are like, I'm going to business with my sister or my friend and we didn't have a contract. And I'm like, well, here we are now today. And there's no, there's nothing that I can do for you at this point, because there's nothing that we can look to that says, oh, this is what we agreed to. And they'll be Mm -hmm. like, well, I have text messages. And I'm like, oh Lord. I'm like, (laughs) Let's not start like, on that. The only court you're going to is Steve Harvey's court right. with some text messages, okay? Right, right. <laughs> Ain't nobody looking through text messages. So <laughs> I just like lack of figuring out these protections in the beginning when they come to me in the end. Many times there's nothing that I can do at that point. 
Yeah. And I think especially like if you are employing close friends or family, it's weird to even bring up the topic of like, yeah, I'm going to hire my sister. Like, do I have to make her sign an employment contract? It's like, you definitely should. (laughs) More so, I would say, like, what better way to preserve that friendship, that relationship than to make sure everything's in writing so that if some shit goes south or anything, if there's a question, all you have to do is say, look at this agreement, like no harm, no foul. Mm -hmm. We're good. So I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are. I've had this experience where hiring professionals like CPA or whatever, they don't necessarily get the business. And then it's like, Mm -hmm. you don't have the person who you need to support you in your business goals. So for somebody who is looking for a lawyer who can help them with the intellectual property aspect of their business, what are some of the key questions that they should be asking this professional to kind of vet them and make sure that they're the right person for them? Yeah, I love that question because not enough people think about that. You want to make sure that the people you work with align, like you guys vibe, but also that they have experience in what you're doing. And so now when there's a lot of people niching down, I think that's great because it helps the customers find them. So I would ask them, what is your specific expertise in this area? Like, do you have other clients that are like me? Do you have experience with product-based businesses? All of that stuff. Ask them how their fees are structured, right? I asked about payment plans. A lot of lawyers are doing that to make sure that the way that they accept payments or how their fees are structured aligns with how you're able to pay them, right? And then I would definitely shop around, like ask these same questions to more than one attorney. Make sure that you are asking everything you need to ask. Don't think that any question is too dumb just because their attorneys are just people just like you and me. And get it all out, right? Like make sure you understand the process and that you are basically questioning them to death. Because I think lawyers like to talk in a lot of legal ease to like sound smart, quote unquote, but you have to understand the services that they're offering. So make sure they have expertise in your industry, make sure you shop around and also try to find out if the services that you need, you need a state specific attorney. So there are some some services that we can't offer to those that are outside of the state that we are licensed in. For example, trademarks, copyrights, that's all intellectual property. It's national, federal law. I can work with anyone in any state. For contracts, on the other hand, it's state specific, so I can only work with clients in New York for that. Okay. Is there anywhere we can go to check if a lawyer is currently licensed by their bar association? Some states have that information as publicly available and some don't. However, there is kind of like a Yelp for lawyers. It's called ABO, A-B-V-O.com. You can filter by attorneys in your state, in the practice area that you need, if you need an employment attorney, a contract attorney, whatever. And it has reviews. So you can read through people. It's literally like a Yelp. So that'll help you narrow it down. But don't be afraid to ask them, like, are you currently licensed in your state? You know, there, I'm sure we've seen in the news, lots of attorneys that have been practicing without a valid license. Mm -hmm. So that is a fair question. And if anyone gets upset or box at that, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's a red flag. (laughs) Yeah, red flag. (laughs) That's awesome. And we'll make sure to link that resource in the episode show notes. Okay, so if you could leave new entrepreneurs with one piece of advice when it comes to starting off the right foot with their legal aspect of their business, what would it be? I think that you need to make sure that you admit that you there are things that you don't know. 
It is not your job as a business owner to have all of the answers and be able to do all of the things. Your job is to have an understanding, of course, of the inner workings of your business and then figure out how to get the help you need. That's why subject matter experts are amazing. Lawyers, accountants, website designers, you're not an artist, you know, financial experts, <laughs> let them help you. That's what they're there for, right? Save up for these things because DIYing yourself through entrepreneurship is not it. It's it is just not it. It's not it. <laughs> Everyone is here for a reason. You should be in your zone of genius, wherever that is, your creativity, your skill set, and then let others guide you through the process because you also don't know what you don't know. If you don't know something that you need to do, there's no Googling that's going to get you to <laughs> you know expertise level of something. So don't be afraid to admit that and to know that you need that team around you. Absolutely. You would not Google your way to performing heart surgery on yourself, y'all. So stop trying yes. to Google your way to a yes. law degree, please. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> Pamela, I love your content. I think I actually found it initially from Ada. Yes, yes. All things love Ada. Her. She sings mm -hmm. your praises. And I always want to support women in our community who are doing the damn thing and providing much needed resources to us. So I appreciate what you do. I am so here for you taking the leap into entrepreneurship because I feel like you are really now able to serve in the way that you want and you're mm -hmm. having such an amazing impact. So for folks that want to find out more about you and follow your journey, interact with your business, get help from you, where's the best place for us to go? Main platform, definitely Instagram at Pamela Rosario Law. And then my website has all of the information you need. That's PamelaRosarioLaw.com. Amazing. We will link all of that in the episode show notes. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. I loved it. And I love you. You're amazing. <laughs> thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, Sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of The Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa.
On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.